Well, that's easy. Of course. Yeah, we get that. But before you do that, I just want you to pause. I want you to consider this one belief and the fact that it drives the things that we do in our family ministry. Which impacts babies all the way up through high school. And really beyond. Are you ready? Here it is. The one thing. The one belief that can change or should change how we see stubborn teenagers. Hard to get along with kids. Bratty kids. Here's the one belief. Are you ready? It's that every kid is made in the image of God. That's earth shattering, right? Every single one of you knew that already. You're like, I can go home now. Let's pray. We'll close. Every kid is made in the image of God. Some of you, you've known this for a long time. Some of you, this might be the first time you've heard of it. But what does it mean? Because I don't want you to miss it. Because it's going to set the tone for what we're going to be talking about today. I want you to think about what it means for you and for every kid around you. And I want to be clear about this. I know there are some people in this room who don't have kids. And you think, I don't need to be here for this. I'm, I don't, I'm not a family. I'm single. I'm seasoned. I'm older. But I want you to understand that in the area that you are sitting, the potential you have to influence a kid's or a teenager's future. You see, children, students, they have the stamp of God's image imprinted on their lives. That means they have a divine capacity, a divine capacity to reason, to improve and to lead, a divine capacity to care, to relate to trust, to believe, to imagine, even to love. That's an incredible opportunity for us as the church as we partner with families to leverage and to need to be reminded of that truth today that we are responsible as the church for that belief. Don't miss this. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Because some adults miss it. The sad thing is some churches miss it too. Because they treat kids and teenagers like they're not old enough. Like they're not smart enough. Like they're not mature enough or even Christian enough to really learn anything. But here's the point. That preschooler who knows every word to their favorite song or movie... That first grader who knows how to build anything out of a set of Legos. That fourth grader who can spell any word that you throw at him or her. And that middle school, that the middle schooler you have to go to when your iPhone starts to act up, everybody but you. Because here's the flip phone. But there's a lot of freedom in that. That's a different sermon. See me later, we'll talk about it. The reason they can do that is because he or she, they they have a God-given potential that separates them from every other created thing in the whole world. Why? Because every kid is created in the image of God. So here's the question. What would happen? What would happen if we as a church started to treat every kid, every teenager, like they were created in the image of God? Sometimes you think they're created in a different image. I know that. I'm starting to see that in my own kids' lives. But don't miss it. Every kid made in the image of God. That's every kid that you know. Whether they believe what you believe or not. 
Whether they go to our church or not, whether they're Christ followers or not, whether they throw things at your house in the middle of the night or not. (laughs) Every kid, every teenager is made in the image of God. What if we just decided, because we believe that every kid is made in the image of God, that we're just going to start teaching every kid, leading every kid, and influencing every kid like they matter because they're made by God? What if that was our heart? What was that? Was that one thing that drove everything that we do? Now, some of you may be thinking, Russ, I get it. This is theology 101. Sure, every kid is made in the image of God. I get that. You'd be surprised to know how many people forget it. Churches forget it. Parents forget it. How those of you in the church and with kids who have grown up and maybe out of the home, you can forget it. And so you show up and you think, you know, my kids are done. I've done my thing. I've I've paid my dues. I can move on. I can do something else. Maybe some of you in this room, you could relate to some parents because you've raised those really stubborn teenagers, those strong-willed kids. And there are some people in this room who are sitting on the same aisle as you sit on every week who are struggling with the strong-willed fourth grader. They're struggling with the teenage girl who's trying to figure out who she is in the midst of high school. And, and you sit there and you think, what do I have to give? Everything. Because when we start believing that every kid is made in the image of God, we start to give everything that we have to point kids to God. And we help moms and dads to do that. I mean, even the disciples missed it at times. That's why Jesus was so emphatic one day when the disciples were impatient with a group of kids and parents who wanted to come and meet Jesus. So he had to get firm. He got a little angry. And he basically said this, let children come to me. Let them come. And then here's the next part. Let them come to me. And then it says, do not hinder them. I mean, we can make a list of ways that as parents, as the church, as leadership, as authority, we hinder kids from coming to Jesus. Maybe they're too young. They don't understand yet. Just sit and be quiet. Color your sheet of paper. When they're just asking question after question and seeking answers, and we miss the opportunity because we've missed this one belief. Then he goes on to say something really crazy. He explains that the kingdom of God is reflected in a a child. And he says to the disciples, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, you're going to have to become like children. Now, that really is a sermon for another day. But the bottom line here is this, is that it changes how we should see kids and how we treat kids. It's also interesting that Jesus didn't say that kids should become like adults before they relate to God. They said that adults should become like children to know God. The point is, Jesus had a very high opinion of kids. There's actually another time when he put a child in front of his disciples to emphasize this same idea. And what he did probably shocked them a little bit. Here's what he said. Mark 9, 37 said, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. In other words... I want you to treat kids like you would treat me. And by the way, just in case you haven't figured it out yet, Jesus says, I'm God. So just to make sure that when you welcome kids, it's like you're welcoming God. I know that's a paraphrase of the scripture, but you have to admit, Jesus makes a big deal of kids, of children, of their faith and belief and trust. 
It's like Jesus was saying, no one should feel more welcomed at our church than a screaming baby. What's the very first thing we as parents do when a kid starts fidgeting? What's the very first thing? Shh. I saw it. I'm not going to point you out. I saw three of them already. You give an elbow. You give them a snack. You give them something to do. Listen, we should be thankful that there are kids in our church. I mean, there are churches all over the world who would give anything to have someone under the age of 50. So when you see a crying baby in a room, you see a mom struggling with a couple of younger ones, go over and don't say this, wow, you sure have your hands full. Or don't you know what causes that? Like, I get that it's funny, but what if you just went over and said, hey, it's going to be okay. I've been there and I've done it. What if you just went over and said, hey, can I hold her? She's precious. The one that's screaming and crying and has got like snot and nastiness coming out of her nose. Like, that's earning a crown in heaven. That's seeing a child in the image of God. No one should feel more welcomed at our church than a bratty kid. I'm not going to call out any names, but you know who you are. No one should feel more welcomed at our church than a hormonal middle school and all that that entails. No one should feel more welcomed at our church than a defiant teenager who's trying to figure out who they are. Hey, get this. No one should feel more welcomed at our church than an adult who just got out of rehab or someone who just got out of prison or someone who just went through a divorce or someone who just had an affair or someone who just sinned. Guys, this should be a place that we welcome everyone because everyone is made in the image of God. This should be a place that we welcome them with arms wide open. Not a place of judgment but a place of love and acceptance. A place where you're going to say, I'm not here to change you. I'm just here to love you. I'm going to let Jesus do the changing. And and so here's just a a nugget. How about we as the church begin to be known for what we're for and not what we're against? I'm I'm not saying that sin is okay. Don't miss me here. What I'm saying is, what if we as the church just started looking at every teenager who was rude and every kid who didn't want to listen and every adult who was struggling It's just saying, look, we love you because God first loved you and sent his son Jesus to die for you. Because that's what that belief drives, is that when you understand that every single person sitting on your row, in front of you, behind you, around you, is made in the image of God, it changes the way you see that person. So what if they don't act like God? Or talk like Jesus or smell like Jesus. We've got, we've got a spot that I know Rhiannon would love to have you in. It's called the baby changing table. And I don't care who you are. You know how to change a diaper. Every single one of us could do it. In fact, we're going to have a sign up before we leave. If everybody in the room does it once, you do it once a year and we'll be done. So what if they don't act like God and talk like him and, and believe like we believe? Man, I know kids are sinners too. And most of us, we don't miss that, you know? It's almost like we've been programmed to see sin in other people's lives. And I just want, I just want to know, can you begin to see people in the image of God? Maybe, just maybe, we've had so much practice at pointing out a sin in someone else's life that we forgot to see God in somebody else's life. And I'm reminded of, of the scripture where we're told, don't. Don't miss the log in your eye because you want to see the speck in someone else's. What if we began to just love people because God loves them, because God created them, and then let God do the changing? That's why Jesus said when we welcome every kid, every teenager, every lost person, 
every person who's gone wayward, every, every son that's come home, every daughter who's went wayward, we're welcoming God. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. We reflect his image. They have the potential to love and to know God. And, and one more thing about this, the belief that's really important. Here's this. When you learn to treat kids like they are made in the image of God, it increases their potential to see and know God. You get that? That when you learn to treat kids and students and even adults like they are made in the image of God, it increases their potential to see and know God. It makes sense. When kids grow up believing they're made by God, they'll grow up wanting to know about the God who made them. Have you ever noticed how kids have this unusual curiosity and openness to learn about spiritual things? Kids don't seem to mind at all to talk about God or to ask about God or talk to God. Look, I can be in a room full of adults and ask somebody to pray and, and it's like crickets because we're afraid of what everybody's going to think. I don't know how to do it. I'm afraid of what to say. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid someone's going to judge me. Instead, we just, if we would just start seeing everyone in the image of God, that we're in a different place on our faith journey and that you're all loved and that you're welcomed and that we're just going to accept it. You ever hear, you ever ask a group of uh, kids who are on your basketball team before a basketball game to pray? Whew. You get a kid circled up before a sporting event or before the table, you never know what's going to come out because they're not afraid to say anything to God or about God. That's why my kids at bedtime want to volunteer to pray. That's why Zeke, at two and a half years old, will say the same prayer every single time, five times before he lets his brothers pray. Because he loves to do it. And because I probably laugh. You typically don't have to prove to kids that God exists. You just tell them and then they believe. And maybe that's because God has created kids in such a way. Maybe that's because God's created us in such a way to imagine and to believe and to trust from the time they were born. That's why my five-year-old can get on a bicycle and I say, Brooks, I won't leave you on the training wheels. And then what do I do? At some point, i got to let go. Kids just trust And so you think about the opportunity and the leverage that we have, that you have as adults, that we have as the church, that you have as mom, that you have as dad, that you have as grandparent, that you have as neighbor, that you have as friend. It's an incredible responsibility, an incredible opportunity. See, this this one idea, it can impact how they make decisions how they view their sexuality, how they use technology, how they relate to their parents, how they see the church, how they begin to care about and love other people, and how they trust God. That's why we can't downplay that one belief because it's too important. We can't miss it because if we do, we're going to miss out on every, we're going to miss out on influencing every child to know and to love God. This one belief is the answer to so many questions I get asked as the family pastor here, inside the church and out of it. For example, why should we make families a priority outside of the church? The families who don't come to church, Russ, why do we make them a priority? Why don't we focus on the ones who are coming? Because every kid, even those whose parents don't come to our church, are made in the image of... I'm sorry. I know it's loud up here. you got the air conditioning going. It's awesome. Every kid, even those whose parents don't go to church, is made in the image of... Why do we spend money to go on mission trips outside of the city of Memphis when there's so much to be done here, just in Arlington and Collierville and Bartlett and Germantown and inner city Memphis and Jackson? Why do we take our students out? Why do we take our kids to other places? Why do we ask adults to serve on mission? 
Because every teenager, every adult, they need to experience what it's like to leave your comfort zone and to go somewhere and to trust in a God who's bigger than you, to meet and provide for your needs, to be able to speak with and to work with and to serve people who don't look like you, talk like you, believe like you, or live like you. So why should we help kids grow emotionally or relationally or morally? Because every kid, even those who don't believe what we believe, are made in the image of God. Why do we want to help every parent become a better parent? Because every parent, people who follow Jesus and people who don't, have kids who are made in the image of God. By the way, we need to remember that there are parents who aren't Christians that have the capacity to love their children too. As Christians, we haven't figured it out. In fact, there's probably some people that I know who are Christ followers who don't love their kids nearly as much as people who don't know God. It's just because they want to love their kids well. You know why? Because they're mothers and fathers who are made in the image of a heavenly father. So don't underestimate the potential for someone else to reflect God's image. It's one simple belief that can change how we see every kid, every teenager. And it's how every kid and every teenager sees God. And get this, when you treat every kid and every teenager like they're made in the image of God, you appeal to their potential to respond to God and to relate to God. Now, I'm not talking about the, the being up in the sky. I'm talking about the God who has a desire to have a relationship with us, who stepped out of heaven to rescue us from our sin and to make a right relationship with us between us and God. When you do, you stir up every kid's desire to wonder and to discover. You stir up a kid's ability to innovate and create. You stir up a teenager's ability to reflect God's character. You stir up a kid's capacity to love and be loved. You stir up every kid's longing to believe in something bigger than themselves. It's why when I, I think about, I look at on this, the, the, the crowd, and I think about kids who are, they play on a sports team, or they're in band, or they're in theater, or they're in any kind of uh, organization like karate or, or horseback ride, any kind of extracurricular activity that, that gives them community. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. As the church, we ought to be leading that race. We ought to be leading that. We ought to be a, a place that is so welcoming and loving to people who come that, that, we, that we're irresistible. They can't help but want to be here. They shouldn't walk in the door and think, that's a bunch of hypocrites. They ought to walk in the door and know we're a bunch of hypocrites and we love them anyway. <laughs> Guys, the truth is we're all saved by the same Savior. Saved through faith. Because of God's grace. Not because of our works. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who Christ is. The same is true for them. When you do these things, it stirs up every kid having a desire to be bigger than themselves, part of something bigger than themselves. When you do, you open the door for them to trust God's character. You give them the ability to trust and to follow Jesus. And you set them up for a better, better future. So, one belief. It can change how you see and treat every child and teenager when you act like they're made in the image of God. Because I can't tell you enough, as the family pastor here, our kids and our teenagers, as they get older, I want them to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man, just as Jesus did. That's why we use the orange strategy. Did anybody get one of these when you came in? Hold it up high. Okay, I'm going to wait because everybody's got, Brian, did you get one? Because your arms are still crossed. I will, I'm coming out there. Randy, you got one? Good. Now hit somebody next to you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. So orange is simply a strategy. It, it combines these two ideas. You see the color orange. What makes up the color orange? What is it? Purple and 
Green. I'm just kidding. Aaron's like, you're an idiot. It's red and yellow. That's right. And red is represented by the love of the family. And yellow is represented by the light of the church. And we think that when you combine these two influences, that we'll have a greater impact than we would separate. And flip it over on the back. Man, as the church, we're not babysitting your kids. Raise your hand if you want to babysit somebody else's kids. That's not, that's not knowing they're made in the image of God. That's babysitting. I'm talking about building a relationship. I'm talking about discipleship. I'm talking about living missionally and intentionally. We want to partner with you to help your child, your student, to discover and embrace a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what happens when we're in a small group. That's what happens when, when adults are in a small group. In fact, I would say this. You're missing out on more when you don't do small groups. Raise your hand if you're busy. Great, we'll have a small group after this. Now, we're all busy, guys. We all have stuff in our lives that that take up our time. There's no doubt about it. A father of four, a husband, a son, a friend, I get it. We're busy. And so we got to begin to start thinking about how we spend our time. That's why weekends are so important, right? Because what we do here on the weekend impacts what we do during the week. Did, Did you hear what I just said? Because what we do here on a weekend matters and impacts what we do during the week. Now, some of you guys are sitting in the pews and and we see you and I am so thankful that you are here every week. There are going to be times you miss. And when you're missed, you're missed. When you miss church, when you miss small group, when you miss community, you're missed and we miss you. We miss out on you. You think about it. if, If any part of the body, if any member of the body decides they're not going to do what God's called them to do or they're not going to participate, they're not going to come and be a part of the body, the whole body suffers. So we have to understand that we want to partner with you. We want to build in community with you and love you and lead you to Jesus together, to lead our kids and our students to Jesus together. Now, how do we do that? So, so I'll get this handout. It's a lot, but it's not. Check this out. The title, It's Just a Phrase, is really simple. We're going to break it down into four phases. And the first one is preschool. And and here, as a preschooler, here's what they need. A preschooler, as we point them to Jesus, as we remember they're made in the image of God, we have to embrace their physical needs. We have to embrace their physical need. And so as I think about this teddy bear, it does make noise. I know it's easy to think that in rooms one and two we babysit. I know it is. But every time you open up a book, every time you pick up a kid, every time you tell a kid that they're special, every time you hug a kid, every time you laugh with a kid, every time you talk to a kid, you're embracing them. When you hold them close, when you love them well, you're embracing them and you're creating a place that is safe, a place where they begin to learn that church is a place they can be and want to be and long to be. And you allow parents to also say, that's a place I want my kids to be. And so we embrace their physical needs. You know, a a preschooler's motivation is safety. And as a parent of preschoolers, that's all I care about. I just want my kids to be safe. I want my two-year-old to be safe. I want to know that they're going to be in a safe environment, that they're not going to be uh, put in harm's way, that while I'm studying or learning or worshiping, that they're going to be safe and taken care of. And so the way that we do that is we ask these three basic questions, and then we have these three basic truths. Here are the three basic questions that preschoolers ask. You ready? Am I safe? 
Am I able and am I okay? That's what a preschooler asks. That's what they want to know. That's what the parents want to know. Am I safe? Am I able? And am I okay? And the three basic truths is this. That when they leave that five-year-old room, when they leave preschool, we want them to know these three truths. Not only knowing the answers to those three questions, that yes, you are safe. That should be a resounding yes that the kids know and long to be in there. That's one of my favorite things as a family pastor. When a parent comes to me and says, my kids just love coming. My, my kids love being here. That starts by creating a safe place. And we want them to know these three basic truths. That first, that God made me. That God loves me and that Jesus wants to be my friend forever. We want to help incite wonder in kids during this phase of life and meet them where they are cognitively and spiritually and relationally, physically, emotionally, socially. Because those are the needs of a preschooler. And so as a church, we want to come alongside parents. And so I would say this, whether you have parents or or not, and, and I would even say this also, that if you have kids, you ought to be serving in the kids' ministry. And I know that you would say, well, Russ, I got four kids. So do I. You got five kids. That's fine. When they get bigger, get in there. (laughs) Look, we ought to be in ministry. We ought to be serving kids. There's there's no clock in, clock out card. As long as we're here, we ought to be loving kids and serving somewhere. Through an appropriate activities, preschoolers are building these spiritual foundations so that by the time they graduate kindergarten, they're going to know the three basic truths and have had consistent leaders in their lives who help answer those questions. You ever know that when you see the wins in the preschool room, you know, they're there every week. You know, we have small group leaders that are showing up in kids ministry every single week. Alicia Futrell, is she in here? Alicia Futrell, I met one year ago, like a month ago at VBS. I thought her name was Carol. And in a matter of a year, we have grown so close. She's in my small group with Amy and I and just gotten to encourage her and to see her grow. And as she's been coming to figure out who this Jesus is and wanting to honor God as a mom. And man, I just I can't tell you enough that man, she's somebody who just who desires to embrace the needs of kids. And so. When we we embrace their physical needs, we help preschoolers develop confidence. We reassure them that they're safe with us. We answer their questions, yes, to am I safe, am I able, am I okay? And we reflect God's character. Are you ready? Get this. Janet and Chuck have been serving in the nursery since Jesus walked the earth. I'm serious. Um, They're going to sit just to the right of Jesus. Um, They've been so incredibly faithful over the years. Every single person in nine, no, excuse me, ten years that have had a baby come through this church have been held by Chuck or Janet. Can, can you think about that for a second? Every single one. They're here every single week. Now, they get paid a handsome sum, don't you guys? You collect a great paycheck at the end of each week. No, they do it because they love kids. They do it because they want to they pour into children. That's an incredible partnership that they say, I'm going to be faithful to do what God's called me to do. And every time I drop my kids off, I know they're safe. I know they're going to be loved. The same thing with the wins in the three through five-year-old room. The same thing with all of our small group leaders and the other areas, which leads us into the next one. 252, elementary school age. We want to engage their interests. Their motivation as a kindergarten through fifth grader is fun. They just want to have fun. And the three basic questions are this. Do I have your attention? If you don't believe me, spend some time around my son, Riley. If 
you don't believe me, spend some time around Anna Claire at nine years old. Listen, when, you're, when your child begins to say, Daddy, you're on your phone when I'm asking you questions, you begin to understand you put the phone down and you listen. Because they want to know if they have your attention. And they want to know, do they have what it takes? And they want to know, do I have friends? And the basic truth we want them to understand by the time they leave fifth grade is this. I need to make the wise choice. I can trust God no matter what, and I should treat others the way I want to be treated. We want to partner with families to help kids in this phase of life discover and embrace a growing relationship with Jesus. That's why Rhiannon does what she does as our children's director. She's not babysitting our kids. She's helping leaders lead kids to discover and embrace a growing relationship with Jesus. How do we do that? We do that by showing kids that the Bible is the source for wisdom and truth. That they want, that they will, what they learn can apply to their lives and that relationships with their friends and small groups matter. That who they're friends with matters. Because here's what research shows. Most kids, by the time they leave fifth grade, will have made a decision on whether or not they're going to know and trust Jesus as their Savior. Did you hear that? The research shows that by the time a kid leaves elementary school and goes off into the wild, wild west of middle school, they are deciding whether or not they are going to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. That's why weekends matter. Because what we do on the weekend, it impacts how they live during the week. I think about I think about the things that we do for fun. You know, sometimes I'll tell you yesterday, Brooks, my five year old, asked me, he said, Daddy, will you go outside and play basketball with me? You know I didn't. And I'll tell you why I didn't. I don't mind being honest. I have this disease known as procrastination. I like to call it the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I wish I had Randy's gift of writing down everything and being so prepared that you're ready to go. But the truth is, man, I, I just, I like to put things off until the last minute. And so I didn't get to play ball with my son. I didn't go play basketball. And I'm not saying that to, for any reason, but just to be honest, to be authentic. Man, I think about this game right here. Just see if y'all are watching. Beverly, you had it. Did you see her? She goes, if you got it, Toby, it would have been here, Russ. Hold on to that ball. This game right here, headbands. Listen, my little girl, Anna Claire, plays this on the iPhone and loves this. It's called Heads Up on the iPhone. Man, we'll spend 30 minutes just laughing and giggling. That's when, that's when we're really embracing and engaging a kid. Think about this Frisbee right here. Just having fun with them. I can't throw a Frisbee to save my life. I'll, put, I'll kill somebody. And so we think about this. We think about the idea of, of having fun because that's what kids want. They want to have fun. But in the midst of having fun, we're wanting to make sure that we're answering these questions and supporting these biblical truths. And here they are. Here they are. You ready? For a kid. I already did those, didn't I? Yes. Again, do I have your attention? Do I have what it takes? Do I have friends? They want to know that they're loved. And you do that by having fun with them. The next one is middle school. Everybody say middle school. Let's pray. (laughs) Middle schoolers need us to affirm their personal journey. They need to affirm them. 
They're asking questions like, who do I like? Who likes me? Who am I? And the three basic truths we want them to understand is that I'll love God because he will never stop loving me. I'll follow Jesus because he knows me better than I know myself. I'll live out God's story so others can know who Jesus is. And as I think about this, this right here is a middle schooler's dream. (laughs) If not, maybe even kids' age. These are Xbox controllers. Raise if you play video games. Man, look at the hands shoot up. How many of you play a game called Fortnite? Wow, I got students and adults putting their hands up. Listen, there are times that if I'm going to affirm a middle schooler, if I'm going to reach them, I can't expect them to come to me anymore. They're going to stay locked up in their room on their iPad or on YouTube or playing video games or just hanging out on themselves. We've got to go where they are. And that might mean picking up a controller and learning how to play something other than a Nintendo. I agree. And so again, we, we, want to, we want them to understand that they are affirmed and that in their personal journey is they're asking questions that church is the place they can do that. Because as we do, I think about pizza. You know, this right here, if you want to get to a middle schooler's heart, you got to start giving to the student ministry because this right here, listen, it's not just about pizza. It's about a platform. You see, when I open a box of pizza with a group of students or even adults for that matter, conversation takes place. When I'm willing to sit down at a table with a, and have a meal with a student or an adult, I begin to engage. And I begin to understand and ask questions. And I act like that middle schooler who had a crush on this kid today but now has one on this one tomorrow. And... I act like what they're writing on their Snapchat stories and what's going on at, at the lunchroom is the most important thing and the most greatest thing I've heard all week, even though it's not newsflash. But to them it is because we understand that one belief that every child is made in the image of God. And so as we have pizza, as we have fun, as we go through life, we make sure that we're part of it. Because guess what? Here's the last one. It's high school. High school, man, we want to mobilize their potential. And I'll tell you right now, we need help in that. We need help to mobilize a student's potential for them to realize who they are and who God's created them to be. A new, uh, a new study came out that it's not 18 anymore. Do you know when a, a person decides or begins to become an adult now? Does anybody know? It's the age 24. Oh, oh. Think about that. Research shows that instead of it being 18 and kids beginning to move out and get a job and do things on their own, it's now 24 years old. You got 24 years with them, no longer 18 and on their way. It's longer. In some cases, it's longer than that. I was 25 by the time I got married. I spent the year out of college just playing video games, ordering pizza. It was the life. My mom made me lunch. I'm serious. I had something called the command center. I played video games and watched college football all day. I'm not joking. It was amazing. And then I met Amy and realized I got to get a job. (laughs) I got to grow up. The rest is history. So their motivation, are you ready? Does anybody know? You think you know the answer? What's the motivation for a high schooler? What is it? Fortnite. Starts with an F. What? Food. 
Now that's middle school. Freedom. The motivation for a high school student is freedom. Some of us in this room, really good at letting our kids go. Others of us in this room, and you know who you are, you need somebody who loves you really well and to begin just reminding you that you didn't raise them to stay at home with you till forever. Like you raised them to send them off to go and be missionaries, to be world changers in the places they're going to work, in the places they're going to live, and in the neighborhoods they're going to be. So we don't raise kids to stay at home. We raise to send them off to be world changers. Man, I think about that. We went on a mission trip this past uh, summer. Johnny Rada came with us. John Everson, several other men. Paul Shearson, he's back in the back. I learned to call Paul Polly. If you know Paul Shearson, he's calling Polly. He gives the best hugs. But we went on a mission trip. We learned we were going to be world changers. That the idea is that no matter where we are in the world, that we're going to live here and now like Jesus matters and that our lives aren't forever. That's when students begin to learn that coffee matters and that coffee is big. Some of you, I won't point out Amanda Pendergrass in the back, but she had a birthday recently and they were at Plumpy's and her daughter had a cup of coffee. Praise God. Look, my grandmother gave me coffee when I was a kid, like eight years old. I used to sip it out of the saucer. If not, I would have been 6'5", NBA basketball player. Stunned my growth. So, listen, we, wanna, we want high schoolers to understand these four questions, because they're high school. They get four. Here they are. Here are the four basic questions. They want to know, where do I belong? Why should I believe? How can I matter? And what will I do? As they go out into the world, we want them to understand that they are a lighthouse. We understand that they point people to something. Either they're going to point people to Jesus, or they're going to point people to themselves and the world. And I'll tell you this, as I think about this treasure chest right here, as I think about the treasure, what we studied this week at VBS, the fact that Jesus rescues us, that's the greatest news of all time. It's not what we get for Christmas. It's not what we want on vacation. All those things are good. But what we learned at VBS this year is that even when we're lonely, even when we're worrying, even when we struggle. Even when we do wrong. And even when we feel powerless. That Jesus rescues. That should be the message of the church. That no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, Jesus rescues. And we want to partner with families in this phase of life to help students develop a wonder for God. To discover what it means to own their faith because they're going out into a world where they're going to have to own it. It can't be moms and dads. And so some of you, man, I, th- I, think about, I think about the Thomases. John and Becky are in the, the midst of life. They're about to send their first kid off to college. They've got a middle schooler and two kids in high school starting a week and a half. Hey, what would it be like if some of you seasoned adults, like what, what would it be like if um, I don't know, can I, Dan, can I call you guys out? Dan and Rice, he goes, he knows I knew he was going to talk about us. Like, what if, what if you guys just started saying, you know what, John, we just want to commit to praying for you guys this year. We just want to come alongside of you. Man, Lisa, Brian, you guys sit in front of us. We want to know, how can we pray for Samantha? I think about the Dallases. They've got a, a girl in high school and a girl in middle school. Man, I would love to know how you raise girls because I have one. You have two. You should be able to tell me. Not because you've got it all figured out, because you've lived it. I don't need to know you're perfect. I don't need to know how you messed up. I need you to be willing to be honest with me. And guess what? That's what students need. 
They need us to be honest. That's what our family of God needs. We need to be honest with one another. So we don't walk in with our Sunday best or our face on and say, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. And inside, my marriage is falling apart. I'm stuck at work. I'm struggling with my family. We've got to be honest with each other. Look, kids can smell fakeness. They can smell fake news. Adults bite it because it's easier to do fake news than it is to be real. Let's start being real with one another. Guys, as we end today, and we think about those questions of our high school or about where do I belong and why should I believe and how can I matter and what will I do? Listen to the three, the three basic truths. I'm created to pursue a relationship with my creator. I trust God and Jesus to transform who I need to become. And I exist to demonstrate God's love to those around me. I mean, our desire is not to raise students that will stay here forever. It's to send people out into the world. And by the way, that's our desire as a church. To send people into the world to be world changers. Where they work, where they live, where they eat, where they shop. To point people to Jesus. I think about this clock. Man, this is is the second greatest gift other than Jesus' time. Time's a treasured gift. Do you know that from a time a child is born, they have 940 weekends before they graduate? See that second hand? It never stops. Do you know that for a first grader, it drops to 637 weekends? If you've got a third grader, 468. We're already halfway. If you've got a fifth grader, you have 364 more weekends. If you've got a ninth grader just starting out in high school, you have just over 200. You have 208 weekends. If you have a senior in high school, you already know how long you have. Time goes by fast. Time matters. And I've said this before, that when you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now. And then when you see how much time you have left, you tend to make what matters, matters more. And you see how much time you have left, you tend to value what happens over time. That's why we need to realize the treasure that we have. To make sure that we are sharing the things that are most important with the people who are most important. That every child, every student, every person is made in the image of God. Because when we start to invest, and I think about this. Does anybody know what this is? This is a garden. It's made up of seed packets. As I think about investment, is there any greater thing to invest in and to wait to see your fruit? This is corn, right? Maize? Corn? What else we got? There is peanuts. Don't give those to a peanut allergy. Will Thomas, stay away. Potato. All kinds of things. Do you know that for VBS, get this. Our kids raised three hundred and fifty-seven dollars, and with three hundred fifty-seven dollars, what was it? Three fifty-two. Sorry, Ainsley. Three what? Three seventy. I apologize. Three seventy-two. It was thirty-seven kids received a packet of seeds that will feed their family for a year because our kids invested in the lives of kids on the other side of the world, where they're not only going to be fed physically, they're going to know the spiritual truth of the Lord Jesus. That's what we do. We get to make an investment into the lives of the families around us. Whether you're a greeter, 
I think about Dick Hunter at the greeter. I, who was it that was greeting, uh, greeting so well at VBS? We said, we got to get her out. Jessica Rogers. Holy moly. Listen, I had families come. I had a lady come up and tell me, who's that lady? I want what she's on. <laughs> Listen, wherever you're serving, whether you're greeting families, making them feel welcomed, you're serving as a leader, as a teacher, as a, a, a partner in ministry, you're serving in the, the back, you're up front, you're leading worship. Every role that we have, every role that we play as a family is an investment in someone else's life. There are people in this room that give financially to let us go on a mission trip. Otherwise, students wouldn't be able to go. Taylor Hall, incredible. He lives out on a plantation. (laughs) He had so much work out there, I had to bring more students. Without Taylor's gift, there's been two students that wouldn't be able to go. I I hope I don't embarrass you with that, Taylor, but there's others that give. And guys, listen, that's part of being a part of a family is that we invest and serve one another. We meet each other's needs as needs come. The question is, are you willing to be a part of this family? Summer's over. And that means routine's back. That means we're back. Vacation's over. Sigh. School starts. Yes. So how will you spend it? Remember, we're not babysitting. We're discipling. We're not just having pizza. We're building a relationship. We're not just having a party. We're using those things as a platform to build relationships, to get to know kids and point to Jesus. When you serve, you're not filling a volunteer spot. You're influencing someone's future for eternity. The question is, will you say yes? At the bottom of your handout, it says that every phase, each phase needs the same thing. It needs this. You ready? A consistent leader. Every phase needs a consistent leader. And every phase needs something different. It needs a unique response. The way you love a preschooler is different than a kid. The way you love a kid is different than a middle schooler. And the way you love a middle schooler is different than a high schooler. I think about our seniors who are graduating. I think about our seniors who did just graduate. Such a wealth of knowledge that they have to give. I think about our Senior adults, or seasoned adults, I should say. I think about our singles. I think about our married couples. I think about our families. I just wonder, how are we going to love one another and encourage one another to be the family of God that we're set out to be, to go and change the world with the treasure that we know? I want to pray for us, and then Rhiannon's going to come up and have a, a quick word, and then um, Mike Clay is going to pray us out. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's just a phase Life is just a phase, but it goes so fast. Father, I pray that, Jesus, that we would respond to you in a way that is honest, that is real. But Father, I pray that we would recognize the role that we have, the leverage that we have, the responsibility that we have as the church, that we wouldn't take it lightly, but Lord, that we would respond obediently. And Father, as we do that, God, I pray that you would bless it. Bless our faithfulness, bless our time, bless the way that we serve. Lord, I pray for our families. I, I, I pray for moms and dads. I pray for grandparents. I pray for neighbors. God, I pray for friends. God, I pray for families here today who are lost, who are struggling in the midst of life's storms. And most of all, I just pray that we would see you and see others the way that you see them, made in your image. We begin to treat people that way and just love them the way that you love us. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you.